So, Cynthia, ugh, I, I, for some reason, I keep messing up your name. Okay. Um, no, okay. <laughs> I ain't my name. Just call me something else. <laughs> okay. Here we go. You know that um, when you're typing my name on the phone, it's right beside the what letter Y is beside the letter U. So, you know what that says? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if I've sent it out, but I've certainly caught it a few times. <laughs> well, I'll be careful not to not to pronounce it that way. <laughs> okay. okay, here we go. Okay. What you are about to hear may include disturbing descriptions of sexual or physical abuse, or may contain coarse language. Listener discretion is advised. One of the most memorable voices you heard on season one of Chasing Enlightenment was former student of light Cynthia Watson. Her frank descriptions of life in the group were both insightful and at times amusing. I would say he changed quite a lot from being fairly humble, sort of spiritual leader to being, well, wasn't it completely? And um, yeah, I think he turned into a bad man. You know, you know, he was supposed to be Tolstoy, doubt it. Um, he was supposed to be Robert Louis Stevenson, doubt it. On this bonus episode, Cynthia joins me once again for a follow-up interview. We chat about her reactions to the podcast, as well as some interesting parts of her story that we weren't able to include in our regular episodes so far. You're listening to a bonus episode of Chasing Enlightenment Season 1. My follow-up interview with Cynthia Watson. Cynthia, thanks so much for joining me today for this follow-up to Season 1 of Chasing Enlightenment. Of course. So I wanted to start by asking you, you know, just what was it like to hear the story of this group that you were part of told on the podcast? And even just what was it like to hear your own voice telling your own story on the podcast? Well, that's difficult to listen to the sound of your own voice. But, you know, listening to the podcast was, was great. Because, you know, you spend that many years doing something with that many people. You're curious. I, you know, I've always been curious what's happened to them and what, what went on after I left. And, you know, so that was, was very good to hear. Yeah. And so what were some things you learned from the podcast that you hadn't known before listening? Oh, just about John. John getting, I guess I had heard that he had dementia, but uh, the details of him, you know, is being getting really angry and all that, that was new to me. And that they, they snuck him in and out the back and that kind of stuff was certainly new information to me. Um, I, this whole thing about spiritual growth, the main thing that has stuck out to me, and Trevor mentioned this, the fact that they don't do anything to help their community at large. They never did. You know, my mom used to bring this up, like, 
you know, most churches do things. They, you know, send money to disadvantaged countries or help families, but they didn't do anything. And as far as I can see, they don't do anything now. That doesn't seem very spiritual to me. Their definition of spiritual growth is all very uh, selfish and interior. You know, how am I doing on the inside? But that to me is not what spiritual growth is. And honestly, I don't even like that term. I don't like to use the term. I cringe when I hear other people use it. Um, I, I think it's meaningless. Unless you become kinder, a nicer, kinder, more giving human, a more empathetic, more trustworthy, all that, it's really not worth anything. And what did you think about the descriptions of what life is like in the group now? For example, that current leaders of the group still think that they're channeling the spirit of John Hanus from the other side and taking directions from him. Well, just ridiculous, frankly. I... I don't know what else to say, but just I, I don't believe it. Um, but they believe it and they seem to be, you know, guiding their lives in that direction. So, you know. Now, one of the members of the group that you talked about on episode four of the podcast was uh, the woman named Jean, who was one of John's core group members. Uh, and so she claimed to channel spiritual beings through her body. Um, now, I've heard from some former members that still have some connections to the group that she's still around. She's still one of the core leadership of the group and that she now claims to channel the spirit of John Hanus from beyond the grave. Oh, I'm sure she does. I mean, when you hear that, how does, how do you feel about that? Do you feel sorry for her? Does it make you angry because you think she's misleading people or, or how does that make you feel? Um, I, I think she believes in it herself. I think she's a, She's a silly woman, but, you know, she certainly kept power by claiming to channel John. I just, I, I can't believe that serious people take her seriously. She's not, she's not a serious person. As I said before, when we spoke, I think a lot of her views and her mentality is all very much like a tabloid kind of situation. You know, the way the Inquirer used to be. Um, news of the world, all those. Yeah, it's just kind of silly, and it sort of prefigures a lot of the stuff that's going on in the states with these conspiracy theories. You know, she. I'm, I love to know what her thoughts are on the present, you know, political situation in the world. Whether she's a QAnon supporter, or I don't know. Have you heard anything about that? If they believe in QAnon. I'm not sure specifically about QAnon, but one thing I've heard since the podcast came out was that there's sort of a split in the group in the current day between those who are pro-COVID vaccine and anti-vaxxers. Ah, I guess I've wondered about that too. So that was just something I heard about very recently, and apparently um, there's a split even within some of the, the core group that still leads the group. So some of them are getting vaccinated and some of them aren't. Yes. Wow. Spreading it around. In fact, when all this started, you know, the all the talk about vaccination or no vaccination, I thought, well, it's only natural that people who were drawn to being in a, you know, fringe group, which they are, um, would 
you know, have fringe ideas about the science of vaccinations. Nobody would ever have got a, a flu shot there, ever. We were, we were, like nobody got one. And I remember some very serious flus I had when I was in the group. And since you've listened to the podcast, have your opinions about John or the group changed in any way? Is there any way that the podcast kind of caused you to reflect and change your views about the group? Um, no, uh, but I find it sort of was really kind of helpful in that uh, it feels sort of healing, to like some kind of uh, closure, also a word I hate, but um, it sort of wrapped it up for me. So I feel a bit more at peace, actually. And it's also sort of brought it to light, brought it out in the air. Um, I was always kind of ashamed, um, embarrassed that I was in that group. And I, you know, there's people I had as a friend for years who didn't know. And there's still people who don't know. <laughs> I've told them about this podcast and they're like, you were in a cult? Uh, uh, yes, I was. And um, they want to hear all about it. And so I tell them about your podcast. It saves me explaining it. But yes, I was very embarrassed. And, you know, my mom used to say to me, uh, you know, she she considered me a, you know, and I thought things through and, you know, stood up for my own ideas. She just, she said, of all people, for you to be involved like this, following some guy's directions, you know, a misogynist, and uh, he, I believe he was a misogynist and a, uh, um, it was certainly, you know, with views about homosexuality, nobody was allowed to be gay in the group. Did you go into that very much in the podcast? How nobody was allowed to be gay? I didn't go into it on the podcast largely because I I didn't have any kind of firsthand accounts from people I spoke to. So I, I didn't really want to, you know, mention the sexual orientations of people that I hadn't spoken to personally or anything like that. No, that's right. Yeah. But it was definitely a thing. It was not. <laughs> and there was, a, there were many, many homosexuals in the group who were not allowed to live that way. So that always made me mad. Now on the podcast, I talked a bit about how, you moved back to the Junction neighborhood some years ago after you left the group and, you know, how you'd still see old friends from the group around the neighborhood. Uh, but as of very recently, you no longer live in the Junction anymore, correct? Yes, right. I've moved. And I know you've been out of the group for a long time, but by moving away from the Junction, do you feel in some way as if you're, you know, leaving behind a former life or finally cutting ties with your past in the group or anything like that? No, I don't feel that. I, I think I did that while I was already there. Mm. Like when I first moved, when I first moved back, it was definitely I would drive around and look at all the old spots, like where the restaurant used to be and John's old store, and you know, I sort of, you know, I did it a lot, looking for people, and sort of it felt very much um, like I was looking for something. I don't know what. Uh, and gradually just, you know, when I didn't see anybody, I mean, they're not out very much. 
uh, I just it just became a neighborhood, and that was just the, the past. So uh, yeah, that was a long time ago that I let that go. I do have many regrets, however. You know, gave away my twenties for what? I don't know. I mean, it's too bad I didn't like help somebody or make somebody's life a little better. But no, I was just sitting around meditating on my own, you know, belly button. It's just kind of shameful, narcissistic spiritual growth. Now, on on the podcast, we read some excerpts of notes that your ex-husband, Martin Bevlander, wrote while he was in the group. This included talking about praying to his bowels and a dream that he wanted interpreted about a swarm of bees engulfing a cat and these sorts of things in, in his dream. Yeah. Since we didn't get to hear directly from Martin himself on the podcast, would you be able to tell our listeners just a little bit about where Martin is at now? Um, well, he has dementia. Yeah, he's really just sits in his, in his apartment all day and watches Star Trek. He's, you know, happy. And he's, well, he always was a very happy person. Very kind, loving man. Uh, he can barely operate his phone now, so. But he can't really go anywhere or do anything. Although he remembers very little about the group, the group days, the group years. He just doesn't remember a whole lot that went on. He remembers the people, but he he remembers all the people. He remembers names very well, but not not events during the group days. And I should just clarify, too, even though, of course, we refer to Martin as your ex-husband because your marriage ended after you both left the group. But you and Martin remained good friends after that point, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, we've always been best friends. And did that make it more difficult for you to move away from Toronto? Yeah, oh, dear. Yes. Yes, very difficult. I don't want, I still talk to him every day a lot. He calls me every hour. He's confused about what's going on in the world, so I tell him. So I talk to him regularly. He's just not sure where he's not sure where I am. Now, there's another page from Martin's notes that I wanted to include on the podcast, but which I couldn't find a place for. But it's another page where he's writing to John and to the core leadership of the group about a dream that he had, so that they can interpret it for him. And since it mentions you, I was wondering if I could read it to you and get your reaction to it, if you don't mind. Sure. So this is slightly edited for length and clarity, but it says, I do not remember the circumstances leading up to the event, only this, that Cynthia and I were together and my spine broke. I was losing consciousness of the earth plane rapidly, and what flooded to me was a great grief that I still had so much to achieve and so much more of my life to live with Cynthia. My love for Cynthia knows no bounds. I felt this very intensely then. In my last few moments of consciousness, I told her she should try to get in touch with me through Jean, and that I would try to do so from the other side, as I could not bear the idea of separation yet. During all of this, I was unaware of any physical pain. It all happened so quickly. Wow. So what's, what's your reaction to that? Do you remember ever hearing about this dream? I do, actually, yes. Yeah, and it 
when he would mention it from time to time. Um, when we first split up, he he took it very hard when we split up for the first time. Yeah. He, he wouldn't let go. Um, but it had become impossible for me to stay. So. And, well, he never... I, I never did successfully separate from him. He's still around. And one of the things he says as he's dying within the dream that you should try to get in touch with him through Gene. Uh, so I take it that that would be, you know, through Gene's channeling, right? Is that something that group members would talk about trying to get in touch with their deceased loved ones? No, no it doesn't sound familiar at all to me. Um, I, as far as I remember, I don't think he really liked her very much, but no, it does. That doesn't sound familiar at all. And, and the response that he received was as follows. It says, thank you for the letter. We will diffuse the energies of your dream. The dream represents your fall. And as your vibration was lowered, it was as though you had lost your backbone to do what is right and to be in the light. You had many realizations of the things that you had to do, but that you had not done. What do you make of that? I'm not quite sure how to interpret that. Oh, well, they're just not very good at dream interpretation. I don't think. They say the same thing every time. That you're just not following, you know, the rules of the group. Get back into line. Ridiculous. And there's another page that I found in Martin's box of notes that I believe was written by you and which I was hoping you might be able to read for me so we could discuss it because I didn't get a chance to include it on the podcast. Yeah, that was kind of uh, just reading it when you sent it to me. It's kind of sad. Um, okay. Day began with a restless but positive meditation. The only way I could describe what I felt was a certain warmth and joy, the way I felt when we meditated with John the other night. I was sitting in a corner with all the people who drive me wacky. No need to mention their names. I have such a streak of being critical, a very bad habit. I must see the Father in everyone. My impatience follows me everywhere throughout the day. I haven't touched pen to paper. For years, except in a practical way, writing bills or obligatory letters. It's funny, I can feel something happening within as I do it. It was once such a focus of my life, writing, the hopes, the aspirations, the chance for fame and money. It's as though I'm making a connection with a part of my being that is very shadowy, mostly asleep. My life has changed so drastically since then. I have more control now. I'm not sarcastic and cynical. Sometimes I really don't know what's happening to me here in the group with Martin. All I can truly grasp hold of and know for sure is that my values have changed. My moral system is more sensible, more sharply defined. As far as spiritual goals go, I'm not really sure. Do you think that was from some kind of journal or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think you meant there when you say 
sometimes I don't really know what's happening to me here in the group. Yeah, I don't. I was kind of lost. In the end, I started having dreams where all the people, everybody I'd meet on the street, had no face. Had no their face. There was no distinguishing facial features. Their faces were flesh, just flesh. And it was it happened multiple occasions. It's interesting that you talk about how the group caused a change in your values by making you a kinder person. So when you look back on the group now, do you feel that there's any truth to that still in terms of the group having an impact on you? No. Oh, God. It made me a meaner person. I mean, I like, it's taken me years to get over the harm the group did. Like I say, they did not encourage empathy to anyone except, you know, the people in the group. And if you leave the group, you're shunned. You know, that kind of situation makes people mean, mean and judgmental. Uh, became much more judgmental if people weren't doing what, you know, like being a vegetarian, you know, believing in certain things, reincarnation or whatever. They were just lower. They were, they were not very, you know, smart or with it. I, I think I'm a, I'm a much nicer person now. And I was that. What was the process like then of trying to unlearn all that after leaving the group? Well, in the beginning, I just went crazy. I know I drank too much. I, you know, stayed up late. I partied. I did. I did a, a lot. I just wanted to shake it off. And do whatever I wanted to do. You know, I didn't go on for too long, but for a while I did. And um, I went back to school, studied Russian literature, studied fine art. Yeah, so I just I tried to become more acquainted with the world. And but it, it was really difficult to walk away from a whole community. And. I thought it was interesting that you end the journal entry there by saying that you're not really sure if the group is helping you achieve your spiritual goals. So I was wondering, does that show that even back when you were in the group, you were always a bit ambivalent about the group's spiritual teachings? I was, yes. I definitely was. I didn't, you know, all these, most, in many cases, silly reincarnation stories about who everybody was. It was a lot of silliness. And John was always, you know. And he picked my favorite writers. Like he, he said he was Tolstoy. I think not, John Haynes. You know, you know Tolstoy. <laughs> so speaking of writers, you also mentioned in that journal entry that you were a writer before joining the group. Is that something that you continued after leaving the group? I tried. Yes, I did. Um, but, you know, writing is something that requires practice, daily practice. And um, I did try. I was, you know, I love to write fiction. But, you know, when we got out of the group, we had no money at all. It was uh, it was really difficult to 
keep food on the table and pay our rent. So I tried for a while, but then I, you know, got swept up by economy and uh, never really got back into it seriously. I mean, my intent was to, you know, write a novel and all of that, but I, I never did. Do you feel like being in the group sort of robbed you of an opportunity to pursue that? A hundred percent, but, you know, I gave my consent. I, I, nobody held a gun to my head. I, I chose it. Now that the story of the Students of Light is out there on this podcast for anyone to listen to, are there any lessons that you hope people take away from hearing this story? Mm. Well, I'll just be careful. I mean, it's the same for anything, anybody you get involved with, any situation, you know, friend situation, or you know, organizations. Just be careful what you, you get involved with. Sometimes it's it's really hard to extricate yourself and um, harder than you imagine. Like afterwards, I, I didn't make very many friends because I didn't want to get stuck. I mean, in many ways, the religion part of the group was just part of it. A big part is the community part. You know, you have a job there. You live in um, in one of their buildings. Um, friends. It's a, a real community. So even though you might not 100% believe in what they're doing, to get out requires you sever ties with, you know, for everything, for your job and your home and all that. So just be super careful what you get involved in. And now I've heard from some former members who still have tenuous connections to the group that current members of the group have been listening to the podcast. Really? I was wondering if there's anything you would want to say to those current members if they're listening right now, now that you have the chance. No, not really. Um, just try and be kind. That's all. Oh. Uh, I probably don't look the same as I used to. But when you pass me by and just ignore me. I mean, I was there for seven years. I used to I used to cook all the meals for special occasions. I cooked all the meals for Christmas and Thanksgiving. And um, I'd haul the food up to how many stairs up in that building that they meet in. They knew who I was. And they just walk by me and don't speak to me. I don't think that's very nice. Well, because they're not very nice people, most of them. They think they're, I don't know what they think, but they're they're just not nice people. <laughs> That's what they should be trying to grow. I think grow their niceness. But they think they're very special. For, for what? Why are they special? I don't know. But really, that's just all of the past. It's the past. And I feel sorry for them. I mean, some of them, if, if they're happy, that's good. I'm just glad I'm not there anymore. So glad. I, I used to, that's what I felt most of all whenever I drive around the neighborhood. And I'd see one of them, I think, thank God I got out. Okay, well, Cynthia, thanks so much for joining me to chat today for the podcast. It was a pleasure as always.
And thank you, Daniel. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Chasing Enlightenment was written and narrated by Daniel Monroe. Audio production and editing by Carolyn Smiley. Additional research and voiceovers by Robert Monroe. Artwork and web design by Megan Hilario. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen. You can find more information about the show and ways to support us at ChasingEnlightenment.net. Contact us at ChasingEnlightenment at gmail.com. For mental health support in Canada, visit wellnesstogether.ca or text 686868 for immediate help. Those seeking to leave abusive relationships can visit endingviolencecanada.org.